Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome to the Bridgeway Podcast. We're starting a new series today. It's going to be a five-week series on how our core value of courageous faith shapes us as disciples. So we're going to be looking at different actions that uh, we as Bridgeway um, call ourselves and our members to do because we believe the Bible calls us to do those things um, as disciples of Jesus, things like uh, faith, believing, uh, things like reading our Bibles, studying our Bibles, giving generously, uh, serving one another, and going. And so we're going to look at how our core value of, of courage, of courageous faith, plays into all of those different acts that we do as disciples. And so we think it'll be a very challenging uh, week uh, or month uh, or so here on the podcast, um, but we also hope it'll be um, very enlightening and beneficial, encouraging. And so um, to lay a foundation of what we mean by courageous faith, um, we have uh, lead pastor at Bridgeway, Sam Storms, here to kind of walk us through what we mean by courageous faith. So welcome to the show, Sam. It's good to be here. I think I'd rather be led through this yeah. than have to walk you through <laughs> it or anybody else. This is a this is a challenging issue. Yeah, and wh- why do you think that is, that it's so challenging? Yeah, first of all, because we're going to have to define what faith is. Right. And there are lots of differing ideas about what faith means. Is it merely belief? Is it mm. trusting? What exactly is that? And then we have to define courage or courageous. Um, and the more I've been thinking about it, um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm laying a whole lot out here in front. We're going to have to unpack this. But sure. um, you and I were talking a little bit before we came on the air about you know, there's in a sense in which courageous faith is redundant. Yeah. It's a tautology. Right. Um, because faith requires turning from self and um, taking a risk and trusting somebody else's integrity and promises. Mm. Well, that is in itself, by definition, courage. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have to unpack that. And then here, here's another challenge that we have to face. It seems as if faith is looks to another. In other words, faith is outward looking, but courage is self-referential. It's kind of right. in, it's inward looking. Yeah. It's like if I, if I have faith, I'm entrusting myself to somebody else, but if I have courage, I'm finding something within me mm-hmm. um, that, um, that, that drives me to, to trust in another. Right. So, so they're kind of redundant and contradictory. They are. They are. That's the problem. They, they, they seem to be almost synonyms and then antonyms right. at the same time. So it's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Faith casts itself on another. Courage casts itself on self. Yeah. And so... Um, I think that is something we'll have to figure out here is is what do we as Bridgeway mean by well, well, courageous? I think, I faith. think you did, did, yeah, obviously we can't separate the terms. We could we could come in here and have a podcast on the subject of courage. Right. And we might never even mention faith Correct. or somebody other than our own souls. Mm-hmm. But 
it's not just courage, it's courageous faith. Mm. And so we need to make sure we keep those tied together or we're going to really get in a, in, a, in, a, in a problem. So would it be fair to say that one could have courage without having faith in something outside themselves, sure. but maybe one could not have biblical faith without being courageous? Uh, exactly. Okay. I think that's exactly so it. courage seems to be a fruit of faith. Maybe yeah. like if we were going to kind of cart before her horse it here and make sure, we, okay, faith comes first and courage gets pulled along by it. Yeah. I, I think, I think the more I'm, you know, digging into this right now on the spot, that courage is intrinsic to the definition of faith. Mm, why is that? I don't, I don't know that you can have faith that doesn't have at least some degree of courage in it. Um, you can have courage, like you said, without there being um, any faith, without there being an outward orientation to right. it. So, so let's back up. Let's, yeah. let's talk about faith. Okay. What do we mean by this? I mean, that, that, that may be, along with love, <laughs> the most commonly used Christian word, and yet do we really know what it means? Mm-hmm. First of all, um, there is an element of what we might call intellectual assent. Right. Um, but tragically, a lot of people stop there. They mm-hmm. think faith means I am believing or aligning my mind with something that I read in Scripture, for example, about God or the nature of the gospel. And it's true. There are certain facts, uh, historical realities that we are called upon to believe intellectually that there really was a Jesus. He really Mm -hmm. was God incarnate. He really did die on a cross and rose again from the dead. But um, I think it's very dangerous and misguided to suggest that that is the beginning and end of what we mean by biblical faith. Mm. Now, there are a lot of Christians, by the, by the way, um, who would push back on that. They would say, no, no, that's exactly what faith is. That's all that belief means is that I agree with the facts and the truth of the gospel. Well, we know, as James tells us, that even the demons believe that God is right. one. And um, so knowing the facts and, and assenting to them in your mind although it's it's entailed by faith, is not by any stretch of the imagination um, limited by that. So we have to understand, yes, there is an, an element of assent, intellectual conviction. But um, here's the problem. You go out onto the streets today and you can talk to a, a, a high-powered CEO executive making, you know, a massive salary and at the same time talk to a homeless person and ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. And they both likely will say, well, yes. Mm-hmm. Then they say, okay, what does believe mean? Right. Well, yeah, I believe that he was, he really lived and he's probably the son of God and he's a good guy and I should follow his teachings and that sort of thing. Mm. So we have to go beyond the idea of mere intellectual assent. And I think there's also the element of trust. Right. In other words, I'm not just believing that he is who he claimed to be, but I'm actually entrusting my soul. I'm entrusting my my present and my eternity uh, to the reality of who he claimed to be and what he said he was going to do. Right. Okay. I've, I've got a few questions. Sure. So first, um, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that what we give intellectual assent to changes how we act. Like, I mean, what I believe about the world... Uh, the fact that there's gravity and oxygen and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and as soon as I learn something new about the world, that might change an action in me. Uh, but those two things are still separated in a sense. Uh, is that so? I mean, in a sense, intellectual assent does lead to different actions. Um, so that's kind of one thing I'm wondering. I, I want to spend some time as we keep going through this parsing out faith and works. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it is kind of this interesting thing well, here. Well, what you've just said raises the question, and it's maybe we can't go into it now. 
and I think it's a legitimate question, is it actually possible to genuinely believe in the truth of the biblical narrative and not entrust yourself to it? Mm. So so somebody says, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus, you know, lived and he claimed to be the son of God. And uh, yes, I believe he was nailed to a cross. And but I'm not real sure the more I think about it, can can a person yeah. really honestly acknowledge the reality, the metaphysical reality of all that the New Testament claims about Christ and not trust it? Right. Um, yeah, probably cause, not. Because if they don't <laughs> trust it, do they really understand it? Right. And so if they don't understand it, then we can't say they really believe it. Is this, yeah, because that's kind of like the uh, what, what Isaiah talked about when he prophesied, like always, always seeing but never perceiving, yeah. right? And sure. that, that kind of idea where it's like you you kind of you see it you observe it, it it's it's true in a sense to you that like yeah 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 God Yahweh he he lives in the temple or something like that but it's not changing anything about about you is yeah that, is that the... and and you know the biblical example that immediately comes to mind is the question I'm asked probably more than any other mm. question in the world is what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit <laughs> have I committed the unpardonable sin right and there we have a case where the religious leaders were standing in the physical presence of Jesus. With their eyes and ears, they saw and they heard him perform undeniable supernatural mm-hmm. uh, deeds. Right, and yet they were so opposed to him, so 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 utterly antithetical to the idea of entrusting themselves to him, that they said, "Well, the only explanation we can give is that you did it by the power of Satan." Mm. That's that's the unpardonable sin. Right, uh, but we don't need to go into that. Right, but <laughs> the question is. If we had pre- if we'd been present and we pulled these guys aside and said, do you believe this man who claims to be God incarnate and he's doing these things by the power of the Holy Spirit and they had witnessed it, they had seen it, and they'd say, no, we don't believe that. We believe he's demonically energized. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, but maybe we're going a little bit far afield here. But I, I, would, I want to go, come back to this, make sure we have all the elements of, of true belief and faith. Okay. I think, obviously, there has to be intellectual assent. There right. has to be a conviction of the truth. Of, and again, using the big word, the metaphysical reality of who Jesus is, claimed to be, and what he did. Right. Second, there is this element of, this warrants my trust mm-hmm. because I believe this is true. It warrants my entrusting my soul, putting my hope, investing my present and my eternity in him as the only uh, deliverance from the judgment of God that I deserve. Right. And what, what does what does this trust, this throwing oneself upon Jesus, this you, taking him as your refuge, this kind of stuff, what does that consist of? It, I mean, I think a lot of people could probably argue that that also consists of things that happen in the heart or in the intellect or you know inside the body without it going out into the world in the form of action. Uh, I hope, I trust, I believe. Um, like, do is that still something that's internal, or have we now crossed into the realm of the external? Yeah, you're coming back to your how does yeah. works relate to real <laughs> yeah. faith. We'll come to that, but no, I think the answer to the question is yes. It ob- and, and I think that's one of the, the the criteria that the New Testament sets forth is. Uh, how do we know if that intellectual assent has has uh, taken root in the heart and has produced trust? Mm. And the New Testament seems to say it will be evident in how you live. Right. There will be fruit. There will be a moral transformation. Um, and that's that's one of the, I think, Jesus and others, by their fruit you will know them. Um, you know, the uh, James would say the same thing, mm-hmm. um, that it's... Um, 
by, by the reality and the evidence of works that we know that faith is genuine and heartfelt and not superficial and hypocritical. Right. But then I think there's a third element. Okay. Um, so we have intellectual assent, we have uh, trust, and now the third is... Yeah. Well, I would call it treasuring. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm stealing uh, from my good friend John Piper mm-hmm. here because uh, I've learned so much from John on this point that um, there is an element of delight and joy in the essence of faith. I mm-hmm. think it's intrinsic to faith is that the, one of the reasons, if not the preeminent reason, why I am drawn to entrust myself to Jesus and who he is and what he's done is because it, it brings a, a, a deep delight and satisfaction to me in, in a way that nothing else can. Mm-hmm. So I think there has to be this element of he is the preeminent prize. He is the, the most worthy being in the universe. He is the treasure of my soul. I would be willing to sell all that I have to gain him. I would be willing to make whatever sacrifice is needed mm. to embrace him and be embraced by him. So this element of, of treasuring him, there, it's, a, it, it's, it's again, it's, it's not just merely I, I agree with the facts. It's not merely that, okay, I'm entrusting myself to them. It's that I recognize in, the, in this person the beauty and the glory of God himself. Mm. And it awakens in me this deep delight and this prizing of Jesus, this, this valuation, if you will, mm-hmm. that he is above and uh, all else and worthy of what no one else is. Right. So I, what, what uh, I, I mean, immediately, to, I, I want to know what comes to mind biblically when you think of linking how, how, how treasuring is a subset of faith. Um, or a quality of it. I mean, I immediately think of like Deuteronomy and the Shema, mm-hmm. where you know, love the Lord your God, right? You know, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Yeah, that kind of idea. Uh, anything else? Like, what comes to your mind when you think of how 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 does the Bible show us this truth that 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 treasuring Jesus is a, is part of genuine faith? Well, I think you just touched on it. Mm-hmm. The, the the dimension of love. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of things that you and I could identify right now that we know are metaphysically real and true Mm -hmm. that we probably hate, (laughs) that we despise, that we want nothing to do with. So the element of love, I think, is I cherish it. I adore it. It awakens in me. You know, I think of Psalm 1611, in in God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, is it uh, Psalm 37? Uh, I think it's Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right. Um, so all of those elements, I think, are involved in it. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that before we can define courageous faith, let's identify faith. Yeah. Let's make sure we understand it is more than understanding. It's mm-hmm. more than intellectual consent. It is an entrusting. It is a treasuring. It's a prizing. It's a loving it's taking deep delight in, it's finding satisfaction in, uh, in such a way that all competing pleasures are, are subordinated yeah. to the one which is um, uh, delighting in God and, and finding satisfaction in Him alone. That's good. I, I, that's a helpful definition of faith. And I think looking, and, and I can't help but see kind of like a vertical, like if, if people could see my hands kind of going from the head to the heart of how we these three prongs work together, where it's we start with intellectual consent. I have to know the historical data 
of the gospel. Like I have to know what he's done, how, how what Jesus has done revealed to me by Holy Scripture. I have to trust that that's true and that what he has done has occurred and has been effective. But then I have to throw myself upon it, which is an act of the heart and of the will right? Um, to treasure that and to make it preeminent, um, the, the preeminent desire of my heart. And so I think there is this like top to bottom element of faith that starts in the head and works its way down to your, the center of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses, I've got three or four, First Peter 1, 8, mm. and combines these where Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. So there right. is the treasuring. You haven't. Your eyes have not been set upon Jesus as as mine were. Peter is saying to them, but that's that doesn't put you at a disadvantage. You still love him. You treasure him. You cherish him. You adore him, and he he goes on. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Mm. So now there's the the both the intellectual and the um, not not merely consenting to the truth of who Christ is, but but entrusting yourself to him, and then he continues. And you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible hmm. and filled with glory. So yep. loving Jesus, believing in Jesus, or trusting him and delighting in him. Yeah. So if somebody said, Sam, define faith quite simply, that's what I would point to. I'd point to yeah. 1 Peter 1, 8. It has to be rooted in historical realities of who Jesus is. We're not, our belief isn't planted in midair. Right. You know, it's rooted in the historical realities of who Christ is and what he did. That's the believing in him. Yes. It awakens a love, an adoration, a treasuring, a prizing that gives expression to this joy that surpasses the capacity mm. of the mouth to articulate. Yeah, that's really helpful, actually. That, that seems to be a really biblical way to look at this three-pronged definition of faith. Uh, before we jump into co- courageous, I want to do that next. Uh, touch on on sola fide for me just a little bit. Uh, what what do we mean when we talk about the idea of you know, we have these solas in, right. uh, maybe you can unpack that a little bit. And, and we mean sola fide. What do we mean by that? Yeah. Well, we have to, we can't talk about that, uh, without re- uh, rooting it in the historical context in which it was used, obviously the Protestant reformation. Um, and the, what the Protestant reformers meant by it was, uh, in contrast to the notion that somehow, um, our deeds were themselves meritorious, mm-hmm. that our deeds somehow warranted God's acceptance of us. Uh, it's the difference between um, the evidence of faith and the essence of faith. Uh, the essence of faith is trusting, prizing Jesus, treasuring him. The evidence of faith are the deeds that we perform, the the, the obedience, the right. daily practical, I'm not going to do that because the Bible forbids it. I am going to do that because the Bible commands it. Um, and the reformers were saying, our salvation is by faith alone. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I, you, you've pushed me, David. I, I, can't, <laughs> I cannot help but but quote my favorite Latin phrase. Oh, all right. I'm sola excited. fides justificat, sed non fides quia sola. Ooh. Faith, yeah, aren't you impressed? <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> faith alone justifies. Sola fides justificat. Said non fides quia sola, but not the faith which is alone. So some people, when they hear us talk about sola fides, sola fide, that, that, that it's by faith alone. That, oh, well, you all don't care about obedience. Mm. Uh, you can b- say that you believe in Jesus and then live like the devil right. and you still have a ticket into heaven. That's not what the reformers were saying. That's not what the Bible says. That's it's not right. what we're saying. We're saying that, yes, faith alone that lays hold of Jesus in 
in utter selfless confidence in him and not in me, mm-hmm. yet it's of a quality, it's of a nature such that it will produce ethical, moral transformation in our lives. Right. Okay, great. That's a perfect segue then into what we where, where we began. We said that um, courage is a fruit on the tree of faith mm-hmm. and that you can't have genuine biblical faith that is treasuring and loving and rejoicing in who Jesus is and what he has done without acting out in courage. And so what then do we mean by a faith that is courageous? Yeah. Well, you know, I agree with what you just said, but honestly, if we look at Western Christianity, I put that in quotes, yes, italics, um, I'm not sure we oftentimes see courageous faith. Right. Um, so maybe, so l- let me, let me try to unpack that a little. Mm. Um, here in the West, you know, in Bible Belt, America, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, or wherever you may be, you may think you were the buckle in the Bible Belt. We think we are. Um <laughs> Being a Christian is easy. It doesn't require a whole lot of courage. Mm. Now, there are, there are challenges here and there. You may, uh, you may lose a friend if you stand up vocally and visibly for Christ. Uh, but, you know, you, you might even uh, lose a promotion at work if it's obvious that, that your confidence in your uh, relationship to Jesus is very vital and real. But there's no threat to my physical welfare. Uh, the, I, I don't worry on a Sunday morning that by gathering together at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City, that we are have to, you know, live in anxiety about whether or not the police are going to show up, mm-hmm. or whether there's going to be a mob outside the building with clubs ready to beat us. Uh, you read daily, multiple instances where this is true on the other side of the earth, around the world. Um, going to church is a life-risking uh, endeavor on the part of many Christians. Uh, it. It really, in some, one sense, doesn't require um, a, what I'm going to call overt acts of courage for me to be a Christian in the United States of America in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that, but we still want to talk about the necessity of courageous faith. And what I think I would want to say about that is that there are things, even within the safety of the Western world, that require courage on my part to live faithfully to to Jesus and what he's called me to do as set forth in the scriptures. Yeah. So, for example, um, it takes courage week in, week out, day in, day out to pray for sick people to be healed yeah. when you see them die. Right. Um, it, it, you're, you're risking something. You're risking ridicule. Mm-hmm. You're risking... Um, uh, you know, being uh, mocked. Um, the fact of the matter is, one of the reasons why people don't pray for the sick regularly is because uh, they're afraid of failure. They're afraid right. disappointment that, of disappointment, disillusionment. Yes. Uh, uh, and if I do this so many times, eventually, just I'll prove myself that it's not real. Exactly. Yeah. And it takes courage. What is courage? Well, courage is saying I'm going to entrust myself and my and govern my actions on the basis of what God says is his nature and his purposes in Scripture. It's entrusting myself to the integrity and the promises of somebody else, namely God, as he's revealed himself Mm -hmm. in Scripture. I think you've hit something really interesting there, that there are these commands that God has given us, you know, pray for the sick, right? Since we're talking about that, let's just stop there. Um, 
it takes faith to obey that command because one, I, whom, to whom am I praying? Yes. Uh, two, will this one to whom I'm praying heal? Does he do that? Three, how many times do I have to pray? Until, you know, like there are, there's acts of faith, intellectual consent, trust, and treasuring that all have to take place for us to act in obedience to that command. Yeah, and, and think of the opposite. There are a lot of people listening, maybe some listening to this podcast who say, hey guys, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not courageous faith, that's foolish faith. Mm. I mean, it, it, to, to, to continually do something over and over again without right. seeing the results that you had hoped for, uh, you're a fool, not, not a hero. You're, right. you're not courageous. You're just dumb. Yeah. Um, well, that might be a legitimate conclusion were it not for the fact that it's God who commands us to continue right. to pray. Yeah. If it were anybody other than God, um, if it were David just saying to Sam, hey, Sam, you need to continue to pray for those who are stricken with cancer and heart disease and paralysis and even blindness. Uh, you're a fool to do it because you haven't seen the results that you had hoped for. Well, if that was just coming from you, right? Maybe I'd say, yeah, you know, got you got a point there. Yeah, but it's not. It's the God of the universe mm-hmm. who can be trusted, who tells me to do this. I mean, the same thing comes with witnessing, sharing our faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes courage to continue to maintain a faithful witness to somebody who's incredibly hostile yeah. and who seems utterly shut down and closed off to anything in the gospel. And yet we continue to pray for them. Right. We continue to ask God to, to open their eyes and to soften their hearts. We continue mm-hmm. to ask God to give us boldness and clarity as we share the, yeah. our, our, our faith. Let me think of an estranged son or daughter or exactly. brother or sister, you know, where it's like, no matter how many times you, you reach out to them, they shut, they shut you down and yeah. they, they see, they show no signs of repentance, but it takes, faith and courage to continue to reach out and it seems you know why don't you just give up and let them be them you know let them be themselves and let them follow their own plan and uh you know if they if they're meant to come around they will and it's like no it takes courageous faith to continue to press in and continue to be a faithful witness to them so so basically what we're saying about courage is it's um it's the willingness and the disposition of one's heart to do something based on the 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 um, the authority and the integrity of God's word mm-hmm. that is in defiance of circumstances and opposition. Yes, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's it really is in defiance. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in common sense. Mm-hmm. All right, my dad raised me. You know, use your common sense, Sam, and, and I believe that. But uh, there wasn't a lot of common sense in Noah in building an ark in that day <laughs> right. and time when they didn't know much even what rain was, much less a flood. Um, common sense, um, you know, you think of Acts chapter 3, when the, the, the paralyzed man that Peter encountered, and Peter said, I don't have any money for you, fella, but uh, what I do have I give mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Right. Um, common sense would say, Peter, come on, <laughs> you know, keep your mouth shut. Let me give a, another example. And I know that, uh, and this will kind of whet the appetite for people because we're also going to do a podcast on courageous giving. Right. Um, and so maybe you can reference this when you sit down with those guys yeah. and talk about it. But in Second Corinthians 8, mm-hmm. take yep. the Macedonians. Right. People want to see an example of courageous faith. Here it is. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, <clears throat> we have to stop right there. Notice where the courage comes from that, that's going to express itself mm-hmm. in their gener- generosity. It's from God's grace. 
It wasn't that the Macedonians were uniquely um, of a character that they were able to kind of grit their teeth, clench their uh, grit their, you know, clench their fist right. and, and crank out giving. It was because they had been the recipients of the power of God's Spirit manifested mm-hmm. in His grace. He says, "For in a severe test of affliction, so notice the the circumstances." Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So here, here is their defiance of circumstance that was rooted in their experience of the grace of God and his promise that Paul talks about later in this chapter, that God will supply you with seed for sowing. Uh, now, that didn't, I know that all the prosperity preachers use that language, but they, right. don't, they don't use it as Paul uses it. Paul's saying, God, if you have the heart to give and to make sacrificial uh, contributions, God will make sure to supply you with the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. And then Paul says this, for they gave according to their means. So we stop right there. Uh, that doesn't take a lot of courage. Mm. If I have uh, a certain amount of w- a disposable income, mm-hmm. disposing of that income to help somebody else doesn't take a whole lot of courage. Sure. But then Paul says this. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Mm. So that's the element of courage yes. that, that, that prompted the Macedonians to do something that common sense would have said, hey, back off. This is just dumb. Don't do that. Right. You're going to put yourself uh, in jeopardy of not having enough to, to, to put food on the table for your own family. And the Macedonians had such confidence, such faith, such trust in the integrity of God's promise to them that they said, uh, we're not worried about that. Mm, yeah. So I, I think what, what would be good right here to point out is, um, I, I know if you, if you went back and listened to the episode that I did um, on gospel courage with um, Andy and Matt, and I can link, link to that in, this, in the description of this episode, we talk a lot about risk. And I know that risk, that word, is even in um, our language in some of our documents, internal documents, on how we define courage. And, um, and so what I'm seeing is a help for, it's helping me a lot, giving me a, a different definition of risk. Because I think there's a worldly definition of risk, and I think there's a, a biblical definition of risk. And what we're saying is risk is saying this is very counterintuitive to worldly wisdom, but because God has promised um, provision because and because he's commanded me to do it, mm-hmm. I'm going to do something counter to worldly wisdom because I have godly wisdom. And it's going to look like risk to the world, and it's going to feel like risk, but I know that God's going to meet me on the other side of it. Yeah. And that's the that's the faith element. that. So, I mean, do you have anything else to, you want to well, throw at risk and yeah, courage? Yeah, let's, let's take, a, let's take a, a real down-to-earth example. Okay. Um, you and I could get in the car, we could drive south, to the uh, Riverwind Casino. Ooh, all right. This is <clears throat> and, this is this is an exciting yeah. road trip. Yeah, here, Sam. right. <laughs> um, just so you all know, we're not going to do it. We could, <laughs> and we could walk in there and we could lay down a, a massive amount of money. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse yep. me. Um, I, I don't even know how to how to play craps or yeah. dice. Can I use that word on the podcast? You can. It's our podcast. All you can right. Say whatever I, you want. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, I could lay down a lot of money and risk it on the hope, the expectation that the odds will be in my favor and the cars will turn up and I'll hit, uh, you know, I'll hit 21 or the roulette wheel will turn up red rather than black. That's risk. In other Mm. words, that's taking a chance 
based on very little um, objective confidence that there's anything underlying uh, a good result. That's really good. I like the I like the word chance. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's that, I think that's closer to what I would say would be the worldly definition of risk. Yeah, it would be chance. Right. Okay. Keep going. Uh, uh, but the Macedonians, for example. Mm-hmm. Somebody might say, well, what's the difference between, Sam, you laying $1,000 on the roulette wheel right. and the Macedonians laying $1,000 in the lap of the Jerusalem saints mm. who were suffering from poverty? And the difference is the Macedonians had received the grace of God. Wow. <clears throat> the yeah. Macedonians had been made recipients of God's sustaining power. It was his goodness, his promises, their, their absolute confidence in his integrity um, their belief that God had said, look, if you give generously and sacrificially, I'm not going to leave you out to dry. I'm mm-hmm. not going to let you starve. I'm not going to make it where you can't uh, meet your own needs. So the big difference between taking a chance mm-hmm. in some worldly endeavor and risking in that sense as over against doing it with the undergirding foundation of God's promises in Scripture, the presence of God in my life and here's the thing. Here's the difference. Even if I do something <clears throat> that uh, that puts me in some sort of physical or financial jeopardy, mm-hmm. so what? Right. I still have God. Right. <laughs> I mean, I you think of um, Hebrews 11, where it talks about how they lived by faith. Yes. And it talks about, oh, they accomplished all these glorious supernatural deeds. But then at the end of chapter 11, it says, some of them were thrown to the lions. Some of them were mm-hmm. sawed in two. Some of them lived in rags and caves, and they were the, regarded as the scum of the earth of whom the world is not worthy. Yeah. So even if our approach to taking risk and expressing courage puts us in physical financial jeopardy, our because we know who God is and what he's promised, the answer is big deal. <laughs> I get God for eternity. Right. Yeah, there's no, there's no chance. There's no, uh, you, if you, you, when you when you bet on black, you always win because you're betting on God, and so there is no chance. So it might feel like risk because it looks counterintuitive to the world, but we're always rewarded with the presence of God Himself. Exactly, we, we get God. I love that. Um, I, I've got to circle around and talk about this um, from a cultural standpoint because I, I think whenever I heard you talking about how comfortable the West is and. Uh, compared to the rest of the world, and how it's really easy to be a Christian in, in a in a cultural Christian sense. Um, a, a, a lot of books have been written, a lot of conversations have been had, a lot of movements have been started um, around this idea that we need to risk more. And um, I I have felt in, in those conversations that a lot of people are jumping on board the risk wagon. Uh, because they are unsure that their faith is salvific, that it actually is effective, that they that they have been saved, and uh, they they haven't experienced maybe the treasuring or something like that to make them actually feel like them and God are reconciled, and so they feel like they need to risk something to be courageous to step out in a certain way in order to validate their faith. And that, to me, seems to put the cart before the horse, in a sense. Uh, and so, uh, can you speak at all to, to people who might be th- sitting here listening to, okay, faith without courage isn't genuine biblical faith, um, but we don't mean um, that, you, that, if, that your faith is invalid if you're not living some kind of radical, crazy, on-the-fringes life. I feel like a lot of people might be hearing some of that, so could you speak to them? 
Well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if I can say it much better than you just did. Uh, you know, I, I guess I would just have to, I think our faith and the way in which we give expression to the courageous risking element in it has to be rooted in Scripture. Mm. And I, if people are trying to concoct um, ideas or adventures or challenges uh, in order to validate that, maybe because they're feeling guilty for living in the West. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that we should feel guilty. Um, I'm just simply saying that we should recognize um, what our brethren are suffering and what it costs them to be Christians as over against the fact that it costs us very little. Um, yeah. But I don't, know, I don't think that we ought to somehow create scenarios or, um, uh, or, or a multiplicity of choices that we have to make in order to validate to our own souls that we are truly God's children. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's the way the New Testament uh, calls us to obedience or calls us to give expression to our faith. I think it, the way it does it, it says, look at what God has promised in his word. Look at what he has commanded. Um, look at you know, the end of Romans 8, that no matter what you do, uh, you may suffer tribulation, trial, nakedness, famine, peril, sword. Mm-hmm. Um, you may incur the hostility and the opposition of the demonic hosts. But the reason why that risk is worth taking is because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I think that's really helpful, is looking at that Do you way. have an example in mind of uh, that would... Oh, man, I don't. I don't. I, I, it's just this... It's just this big felt need that I, I think it's because I grew up, I, when I left, when I was in college, I felt this really strongly, um, this need to uh, do something so radical that it validated my faith. Mm-hmm. And, and so I spent a lot of time downtown living with poor people yeah. and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, not spend a dollar if I couldn't and to give it away and that kind of thing. And so, uh, but it, I, I found out that through that, I lost all the joy of my salvation because I was trying to live a workspace righteousness where it was, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't going out to the needy because I was so in love with God who came to me, who was needy. Right. It wasn't a gospel motivated. That's the key. That's the key. It was that I thought if I didn't love enough poor people, I would, I would stand before him and be with the goats instead of the sheep. Yeah. That's what I thought was going to happen. And so I had to get the gospel in my heart first and treasure that. And then I could, radically courageously express God's love to whomever I encountered right and so um, that's that's really helpful no that's I think you've nailed it and that's exactly what we see in second Corinthians 8 mm. I want you to I want you to see the grace of God that has come to the Macedonians yeah um, again they didn't they didn't make the sacrifice to help the Saints in Jerusalem who were starving in the famine uh, because they wanted to impress God mm or because they want to impress other people, or because they wanted the Jerusalem saints to send them a thank you note, right? You know, or they, or because they wanted to make sure that uh, Paul would write them into the scriptures so that mm. we can, you know, two thousand years later we could be reading. Still about be talking them. about them. Yeah, uh, they did it because they were just so overwhelmingly, massively touched by the reality that hell deserving sinners like them mm-hmm. had been the objects of God's saving grace. Yes, absolutely right. Um, Okay, so that was one cultural moment that I wanted to touch on with this. The other has to do with more of an existential need that I feel like people have. Um, 
there's a lot of, of living your story and having a great story and all this kind of stuff that people are really flocking to today. And so, uh, again, we see this idea of courage and risk all throughout our culture that um, the reason why you're bored, the reason you're unsatisfied, the reason you're discontent is because you're living a cushy, soft, middle-class Western life. And if you only stepped out and took a risk, your life would be exciting. And even if you failed, at least you tried. And there's this narrative that people are wanting to tell. tell. Um, are we letting that, that narrative seep into our church culture here? That we're bored, we're, we're bored Americans in our churches, and we just need to be a little bit more crazy in order to stop being so discontent in our faith? Or is there, like, or is there a different thing happening when we're infusing fa- courage into our faith? Well, I'd have to I'd have to dig a little deeper and and ask what's the cause of boredom mm. <laughs> and what's the solution to it. Yeah. Um, if people think that their Christianity is going to be validated, affirmed uh, in their own souls or in the eyes of others by um, the multiplicity of good works that they perform, mm-hmm. I think they're mistaken. I think the antidote to boredom is the beauty of God. Yeah. That we have to come back to the revelation of the glory of God and the fact that this is what we were created for. We were created to, um, to experience uh, the fascination, the enthrallment of our souls, the, uh, the captivation of our hearts with the revelation of the glory of God in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is the antidote to boredom. That's, we're getting into a whole other podcast now, aren't we? A <laughs> whole other topic. But um, that has to be the ground and the motivation for all that we do. Yes. Um, so whether, you know, whether somebody's living a real comfy life and, and it's just the routine of one day after another of getting up, going to work, earning a living, coming home, watching a soccer game, reading the paper, eating dinner, going to bed, getting up, repeating mm-hmm. it over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And then maybe venturing out on a Sunday once or twice a month to attend a church service. Um, the only antidote to that is an encounter with the glory of God as revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. That's right. Yeah. And, and that will awaken the kind of faith that will say, hold on just a minute. <laughs> I don't want to keep living this kind of mundane routine um, that, that just perpetuates my own comfort. Um, it'll open my eyes to my neighbor across the street who's who's really hurting maybe they've lost a child or they can't make ends meet this will open it's the fascination with the beauty of christ that will open my eyes to the plight of the poor in my community um that will that will stir my heart to go give myself um you know at the at the inner city uh um, soup kitchen, as it were, to serve and not just to serve so I can make myself feel good about what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but so that I can have an opportunity to show them the beauty of the glory of God um, that you've encountered, that I've encountered. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's extremely helpful that the cure to boredom is never going to be um, courage, living some kind of radical on the fringes life. Um, you're going to constantly try to plug a hole that um, that only God's glory can fill. That's the only thing that will satiate your heart. And so to, to, to try to live some kind of courageous, risky life 
out in the world will only ever be mercenary if you're trying to satisfy your own boredom because you're trying to use others to please yourself exactly. and to bring contentment to yourself. Only wetting yourself on the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, rehearsing the gospel over your heart, enjoying him, treasuring him, throwing yourself on him for everything that he is, will will not only satisfy you, but then, as you said, will be the means by which your faith is ignited into exactly. courage. Because some people could hear what you just said mm -hmm. and say, God, Dave, that sounds awfully self-referential. <laughs> it, sure. like, it sounds like that's just going to breed passivity, and mm -hmm. you're just going to sit at home at night and bask in the glory of, of God as revealed in the face of Jesus. Right. And then realize that, no, it's that reality that will enable me as a husband to love my wife as Christ loved me. It will. That's right. the reality that will move my heart to step out and serve my next door neighbor. That's the reality that motivates me uh, to be less concerned with my own financial um, viability so that I can give generously to those who are needy. So mm -hmm. it's the most motivating, energizing reality in the world. It's, it's not a self-referential patting my own life so it will feel more comfortable. Uh, it is mass this is the reality that will cause a person sitting in that chair at home at night to say, you know, maybe I need to liquidate my assets and go um, to Indonesia mm -hmm. or, or go to, to the Sudan and serve the poor or um, go to another. I mean, we've got a, a family here at Bridgeway, a man who has an incredibly lucrative position with a, a very large oil company. And they just quit. They're just they tendered their resignation, and they're going to Taiwan. Yeah, and and you know, there are people say, why in the world would you do that? Because they've been captivated by right. the gospel and the beauty of God is revealed in the face of Jesus. That's right. Yeah, I think that's the that's the best place to land the plane. Um, this has been really exciting for me. I, I've loved this conversation, and I'm really excited to we're gonna we're gonna have Sam back in um, next week to talk about how this idea of courage applies uh, to how we read our Bibles, and then we're gonna have a lot of other uh, pastors um, come in and talk to us about how how what we've talked about with courageous faith applies to giving, which we've touched on a little bit already, uh, serving, and then going. So we invite you to stay stay with us uh, throughout the next uh, four weeks as we continue to unpack what Sam and I have started here with uh, this idea of, of what is courage and, and how does that play into faith and uh, we're really excited to continue this on so uh, yeah thank you Sam so much you for bet. being on that's great we'll see you guys next week thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast where you will find a new conversation every Thursday for more information about Bridgeway Church we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bridgewayokc or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchokc. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.